This episode of Future Construct is supported by Applied Software. We would like to thank them so much for supporting us. Uh, Applied Software is really on a mission to transform industries. They empower their clients and champion innovation with real world expert consultants. So to reach them, you go to asti.com, that's A-S-T-I.com, and please tell them that we at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Future Construct. I'm Amy Peck, your host, and I am so excited for our guest today, Amy Marks, who is the head of industrialized construction strategy and evangelism globally at Autodesk. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. So the other moniker that you are known by is, of course, the queen of prefab. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got that name? You know, it's so funny. Um, and actually, we talked about it a little on the Construction Channel mini series. that, you know, I think originally I was walking out on stage in Asia, and I think I don't know. It was probably like a thousand people, 99.99% of them were men. And then they have a speaker and I come out and I'm always in high heels and a dress. And I think the announcer just said, and she's the queen of prefab. And this was like years ago. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And uh, my friends thought it was really funny in the beginning. And I was like, no, I think it, I was listening, like maybe prefab Barbie is already taken, but I'll go with queen of prefab for now. That's good. I'll go with it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. No, I think queen is definitely better than, than Barbie. You know, queen has right. that, that gravitas. You've got that power. You have a kingdom. This, I'm I like, queen, I think I like, I like you have a queendom actually. You have a I'll queendom. take it. Somebody okay. recently actually said to me, they're like, if you're the queen, who's the king? And I was like, why do I need a king? Like yeah. just I've got this. I got prefab under control. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love it. So, and then, so how does this fit into your role at Autodesk? Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's in your purview and your day, your day to day? Sure. So I came from industry, uh, but I've been at Autodesk now almost a year and it's my role to actually inform all of product strategy at Autodesk uh, in terms of industrialized construction and what the future looks like when it comes to convergence clients and the platform at Autodesk to support that. And then as well, I work with all customers um, at Autodesk and people outside um, of that base to help them on the journey for industrialized construction in order to you know, be more efficient and optimize what they're doing. That's great. And so it, you know, with this kind of evolution of technology, and there's so much of it kind of rushing towards us, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, an Autodesk has so many great tools, but what are some of the, the ways that, you know, companies can really leverage technology today, whether it be smart glasses, whether it be VR, whether it be, you know, blockchain, AI, what are you seeing? You know, it's funny, there's a lot of great tech out there. And maybe I'll start with a quick story that a friend of mine was talking about for three years, they were trying to go paperless in a particular area in their in their company, and they couldn't and then COVID hit. And in three days, he's like, how are we now paperless in three days? So there's a lot of great technology out there. Autodesk, we have tremendous uh, software out in design and construction and manufacturing and operations um, and media and entertainment. I think one of the things I always tell people is there's great tech out there. New tech is coming all the time, but it's the way in which we behave with tech and we utilize tech to its fullest and that some of the the constructs in our business models and our ecosystem that stop us from using tech, those are the things, those constraints we need to remove out of our way. There's no lack of great tech, right? It's it's our behavior that stops us from, from using it. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that you bring up a really interesting point is that I think we've discovered that we can, you know, at, even at, at large companies, large companies can move a lot faster than they imagine. And we were sort of forced into that. Um, and so one of the things that, that comes up uh, quite a bit is, is sort of this idea of, you know, having a, a 3D asset library that kind of maybe begins with VR and visualization uh, and maybe kind of moves through the building life cycle, then becomes maybe an AR, an AR layer. You know, where, again, kind of where would, do you see as a, as, a, as a good way for companies to start with that journey? You know, it's so funny. I think for me, what you just said, it starts with productization. At the end of the day, it's very hard to understand data when you're looking at things that are different every single time. There's no consistency in it, right? It's like, and in construction, for some reason and design, we've decided that everything is like designing a snowflake, operating a snowflake and building a snowflake every single time. I, I don't know why, you know, and, and we have examples of where it's not like that, right? So it's like, I always use the example of generators and they come in a certain horsepower capacity, like a 200 or 250 horsepower or three. We somehow understand that that product, we have to design around its capacity, but then everything else is up for grabs. It's like total means and methods. Yes. You, and by the way, you can, you need that data, but you need that product data to be discrete data where it's not just a pretty picture of that element, but that it's actually functional data that allows me to understand how to, the bill of materials works, the bill of process, a direct connection to that supply chain partner so that the data actually reflects how it's going to be manufactured and assembled. If it doesn't, and it's just a pretty picture representation of that, it's not that functional for us, right? So I think a lot of things that we're talking about in the world today, whether it's digital twin or um, you know generative design, those are generated really the, the results of those things, the benefits of those can really be driven by industrialized construction and prefabrication. And we sort of sometimes forget that, you know what I mean? It's like, do you want to track process with millions of pieces and parts that are coming together differently every time? Or would you rather, you know, productize certain elements within these spaces that you can reuse and understand and get better at it, right? It's like, we can never get good at this because we're just doing it for the first time every time. You know, that's, I love that you brought that up because we, we had a, had a client in Southern Australia, one of the largest, uh, you know, residential builders there. And they kind of quickly came to the conclusion that, you know, instead of having this sort of infinite number of designs, which actually stalls the sales process, right? Right. They have too much choice that they just wanted to distill it down to four kind of basic designs. And then the, the layers of creativity came in, you know, then you could maybe choose it from 10 different backsplashes or, right. you know, that, it, that, it, that you're, they're thinking about the sale at the end and what's best for the consumer, not just the process. So I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, really building for the end user. You know, at the end of the, the here's the problem, right? So very little of what we're doing is even focused on the end, end user, right? So when I said, like, we have to think about how the constructs are stopping us from adding value, right? It's like, think about this. We're a very siloed ecosystem and we are one of the least digitized ecosystems on the planet. We are one of the least productive. Um, you know, we are not seeing technology be enabled like more so uh, in the construction than anywhere else, right? And the, the issue is, it's not that we're not smart, like, I feel like when I tell people that, like, we're not doing this and we're, we're not productive, they're like, well, we're not dumb. You know, we're trying. I was like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm actually saying, like, listen, we're this is 
cash for chaos, right? This started as very siloed industries where people actually made money, not on purpose, but they have set up their business models because they make money on the misinformation or lack of information between these silos. So what does that mean? That means they draw things that will never be built and they get paid for that. They um, they price things that will never get built and they get paid for that. They go out for multiple people who will never get the job and that's part of this waste. And then we end up with materials, 40% of which are in our landfills that came out of the construction process that were never in going to end up in these buildings, but they were going to end up in the landfills, right? This doesn't make, it doesn't make sense, but the problem is we keep everything we have in our ecosystem is set up to replicate the value within these silos, but not across these silos. So it's, it's not like somebody doesn't understand that, but okay. So now I'm an engineer, let's say that draws things that I know never get built. Do I give that up or do I keep my job and keep drawing things that probably most of which are never actually fabricated? But then I get paid again to like re reconcile those drawings from somebody else that's going to build it. That's in a different silo. And then he has to, they kick those drawings back to me. And then I get paid to actually like kind of fit it into what my original intention. Why do we do that? It's not because we're not smart. It's because that silo has been set up to get paid like that. And the contracts mimic that and the risk management mimics that and everything mimics, mimics that cash for chaos silo. So how do you burn down those silos for, and I have, I just wrote a paper called creative destruction, um, breaking down silos for the new possible. The problem is you, you, you need to burn it to the ground to, in order to like create new value. And that's, that's a, that's a scary risky thing for some people to feel. I would like to thank the team at Applied Software for supporting this episode of the Future Construct podcast. With solutions for really any modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing with a singular focus helping you achieve higher performance. So with software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So you can reach them at asti.com, it's asti.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. And, and risky in the fact that that this is a you know it's it's one of the most capital intensive you know businesses and and verticals on the planet and and, and there's so much money at stake that doing anything that could potentially you know halt workflows or just you know time money it, it's you're right I mean how do we get you know, the, those in power to say, all right, we're going to take a risk on this one and we're going to do it differently because as you pointed out, there's got to be a huge savings in, you know, bringing down these walls, allowing each of these factions to, to work with each other on a, on a more holistic way. Um, how, how, how are we going to convince people to do this? Well, I think, you know, what's happening now. So part of that paper was the fact that I'm, 
I'm writing this book called The Innovator's Deception. So Clayton Christensen was my professor at HBS when I when I got to spend some time there. And he wrote about the innovator's dilemma, right? So he talked about anytime you hear that word disruption or disruptive technology, that's him, right? That's his book. And he talked about how you could chip away at the bottom in order to change an industry, like one tech swap for another would displace an incumbent like Uber and taxis or the mini mills and steel mills. Here's the problem. We can't change an ecosystem of disparate industries that have to function together the same way you can change one industry. You cannot affect change from the bottom up. You have to affect change from the top down. So you need to have the biggest influencers in the space. You need to have the biggest buyers in the space say no more. That you have to have those people demand that change must occur. And that's happening right now. You have big serial owners, right? That's a phrase I talked about a long time ago. And my friend said, where'd that come from? Actually, Andrew, our CEO said, where does that come from? And I said, it's like serial killers, actually. I called it like serial owners because like, you know, serial killers kill a particular way every time there's a signature to what they're looking for, consistency. Serial owners are across multiple geos and they want consistency in the way in which they're building and operating so that they have operational consistency. For them, certainty is much greater than savings. And quite frankly, it's called an estimate for a reason in our business because it never ends up as that price, right? So everything that everyone compares these two are not real. So if you look at any of the studies on the best and, and typical projects that are out there, they're not on time and they're not on budget. So I think the first step is I kind of laugh, laugh when you said like, well, there's so much at stake. And I'm like, but we're losing already. We're not winning. You do know that. Like we're not winning in the space. So our, we're not like people don't hold us up as like an ecosystem that's like, you know, we're a $13 trillion ecosystem that's incredibly wasteful. And I think the first step to any change is you have to have dissatisfaction, right? So if you, you look at the formulas that I like to think about mathematically, like everything starts with dissatisfaction. And so the unhappiest people right now are these people that have the most to build that need operational consistency and also have the most money to spend where they can dictate and influence to the rest of the ecosystem. And they have to. Uh, I always say to them, don't hire from within our industry and think you're going to get some different thought-provoking change management and and if you are one of these cool manufacturers like uh, just think about it logically you know what i mean and they're not going to help you because we it's like I, I use this expression all the time because we want diversity and inclusion in our space it's like getting a bunch of over 55 white men in a room and then asking each other how to get more people of color and women in the space probably well, I think, you should ask someone else you know I what think, i mean i think i think that sadly that conversation does happen and i think <laughs> and everyone just kind of looks around you know and shrugs <laughs> You know, the, the problem is I don't think they do that. I actually think they all say what they think. You know, it's like I say it like this about IC. It's like we tell people they have to act more like manufacturers and they shake their head. Yes. And we know it's safer and it's more productive. And then I feel like they leave the room and they're like, what's a manufacturer? You know what I mean? It's like they don't know. So we are speaking a different language and we have to all sort of get on the same page here. And the first step is to say what we're doing now isn't working. There's lots of proof points as to why it's not. It might be a big industry. There might be lots of money in it. There might be lots of companies that make lots of money, but it's not really working. And it certainly won't work in the new normal where we're going to need all these other buildings and infrastructure. We just know that now with all the needs in healthcare there are and digital infrastructure right now that we are lacking during this pandemic. We know that this is changing. The environment is changing. Technology is changing. The workforce is changing. It will not continue to be anywhere near as inefficient as it is today, later, it's going to be worse. I hate to say that, but that's true. 
So do you think that there's room for, you know, a, 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 a new behemoth type of, you know, construction company to come in like it, like an Uber for the new construction age? I don't think one company is big enough to make a change. I don't think like I deal with a lot of companies and I, I used to, I made a joke actually a couple months ago. I'm going to wear a t-shirt every day that says you're just not big enough. You know, like one company, <laughs> even at the top of the influencer chain, you know, I came to Autodesk cause I was a little company, my, you know, an entrepreneur as a woman. And I, and I was very passionate about this. And Jim Lynch, my boss was like, listen, if you really want to change the world, you're too small. You know, he's like, you have to come to a place that can actually affect change and be one of the influencers in the ecosystem. And he's right. And, and, and I can't do it by myself. And like even Autodesk is not big enough on their own to be able to do this. So I think, you know, there's not one technology. That's the difference between what Clayton was talking about. What I'm talking about, there's not one technology. There's not one company. I actually think the way in which we talk about design, construction and operate the phases of our cycles and the types, the names of the companies change. So you're going to see a lot more convergence in process and in company models and in industries. Are, and that's happening now. We see convergence all the time, you know, in lots of different parts of our world. So this convergence that's going on, and for me, it really manifests itself with companies that are fabricating, right? So I have owners that are fabricating. I now have architects that decide they're going to design and fabricate. I have general contractors that want to fabricate and like subcontractors. Honestly, the guys that have been fabricating and ladies the most in our ecosystem for a couple decades are the MEP subcontractors sort of in secret, right? They've been doing it in all these complex spaces behind the walls, below ground, in the central utility plants, above the ceilings. These like unsung heroes of prefabrication, all of a sudden people are recognizing they want that value and they're, 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 and this pressure is on the space, right? Because we have COVID and everyone, you know, we know we have to do things differently. So what happens when you have pressure in an ecosystem is the lines all blur. So like when you say construction company to me, I don't even know what that means anymore. And quite frankly, in five years, 10 years, there won't be, I don't know if that terminology will exist the way it does. Or when somebody says the design development phase, I don't know what that will look. I don't even think it looks anything like that. It's much more systems thinking. It's much more vertically integrated in the new normal for convergence than it ever has been before. And if you, if you don't think about yourself in the future, I don't think you'll, you'll exist. <laughs> No, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we run an innovation workshop. That's the first thing we do. And we actually do it on a personal level, which is why when we get to the end today, I ask the question that I ask that if you don't have a vision for yourself for the future, how on earth are you going to project what the products and services of, you know, for your company are going to be? Right. Uh, so in you, you know, you talk a lot about living in the future, you know, again, for you, and this will lead us sort of to our, to our closing question, but you know, what would you like to see happen ideally in the industry? I, d I definitely think we need to have more collaboration and productization that influences the tech. So think about it. We're a $13 trillion ecosystem. And at Autodesk, we are a platform that really needs to enable and connect designers and makers. And we do that now, but it really needs to be deeper and with more functional data and really with a real direct connect connection with that discrete data that we can manufacture off the data, we can eliminate and lots of the layers in our space and, and, and get rid of some waste. And, you know, that's important. I think the future looks very different. I think we look more like a very connected enabled platform company that we are today, but even more so. And I think a lot of those, again, the terminology that we use today, will, 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 it won't be the same. 
you know, because there, there may not just be somebody who lives within the silo that they live in today. They'll probably be touching two or three of those positions at the moment. Yeah. And you, and you talk about convergence a lot. Um, you know, I look at the sort of the convergence of, of the technologies, like how do we, you know, blend, you know, AR, VR, blockchain, AI with, you know, cloud edge services, the wearables that are coming out. Um, and so how much do you think uh, that that convergence of technology, particularly I'm thinking specifically around smart cities, will then start to drive smart buildings? Or do you see it the other way around? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I used to have a slide like 10 years ago and I was like, I used to have a Walkman and then they talked me into like an iPod and then the iPod became my iPad and the iPad became my Mac. And then the Mac now became my Apple CarPlay. And I'm like, the building is not even the largest chassis anymore for the platform. It's the city, right? So if you think about places on this planet where they're pumping in capacity right now, like the continent of Africa, there's very little legacy infrastructure there. And so the smart city, which you can't build the same old way. Most people forget that part. Um, when we think about like buildings that are built differently with IoT sensors and understanding the data that can actually speak to us and heal themselves, that's really what the platform at Autodesk would like to really enable. And we do, and really in what we see in the future. And when I say platform, I don't mean just our product portfolio connected. I mean, our product portfolio with other people's software that can interact with each other and actually connect to each other because the chassis is really the city, right? It becomes the city. Then I think, think of all these companies now that look at the end of the day does, um, and I don't want to call it any one particular company, but do they want to fight it out on a retail level with me to buy my fridge separately my microwave, my washer dryer, or do they want me to move into an enabled apartment building in the city? That's an enabled city by all their tech. And I'm in the tech, right? I live in the tech. So I think if we're not recognizing that that's happening and there's a global struggle for that, that digitization of my platform and my, you know, my space in the platform, we, for, we, we, by the way, and all we do sometimes in construction is rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic. When we think about our two and a half, 3%, how do we do, how do we get four? You know, it's like, trust me, the platform money is much, this is, we're talking about pennies now instead of like millions of, you know, billions and trillions and stuff like that. So I think if you don't recognize that change, what's happening. And I definitely know that Autodesk does, which is why I came here, that we need to play a role to make this a better city for the end users, for the people that live there, for the people that build those, for the people that design those. That's critical because we need so much of that infrastructure on this planet that if we don't do that in a smart way, what a waste. So much waste is going gonna, is gonna to be produced by that. Yeah, that's that's such a great point that you bring up Africa because in in you know on the one hand the challenge is that there's no infrastructure. The other hand, the opportunity is that there is no infrastructure, right? It's that's a blank right. canvas because we have to retrofit all of these cities. You know, we for, you know, we talk about the cloud and the network, but those are all you know, there are, there's hardware involved and, you know, every lamppost and all those boxes you see on street. Fiber corners. underground, you know, like right. all the fiber that, underground that doesn't exist in Africa that would exist yeah. here. So we and have an I, opportunity maybe to rewrite that. You know, it's worse than that. It's, there's the physicality of the infrastructure, but what really holds people back are the territory of that infrastructure, the politic like politicizing of that infrastructure. The you know it's that's the problem, right? So it's like I always say, it's not hard to prefabricate 
pipe racks. It's hard to find leadership, a culture and a process that enables you to fabricate pipe rack. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we have, it's very little about of the physicality. It's, it's mostly about culture and strategy and, you know, the tools and the tech and things like that. And the way in which we collaborate as people and, and the fact that, listen, when I came to Autodesk, it was right before COVID. And I, I gotta say, uh, this is not a shameless plug. This is really about my life. I thought, wow, I'm really coming to the right place where people care about this. And they, they speak this language that I love, that I'm so passionate about, that I was willing to give up my own business for. But then COVID hit and I was like, wow, let's see what happens now. And I just remember Andrew and Jim saying to me and everybody there, just go out and help people. Go and help our customers, go and help our employees. I don't take credit, just Amy, just get out there and help people on their prefabricated hospital. Whatever they need, just go help. And I watched behind the scenes, people that I didn't know, I knew they were talking the talk because that's why I came. It's going to be more about walking the walk in the future, right? It's like, you can't just use these marketing words that you're saying something. It has to be realized. You have to actually take action. It's the same thing with my friend about tech and their behavior. You can't actually change something unless you change your own behavior first, right? In the way in which we interact on this planet. Well, I, I would say that you made the right move because you really are out there helping people. I've watched your videos. You are an absolute force. And, you know, if anyone can, can move the needle and enact some change, it's you, Amy Marks. And let's talk a little bit about your uh, red stiletto back there. Oh, my red, <laughs> everybody loves my red shoe. So I always say my red shoe is going to change the world. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, the way we do things right now in our, in our ecosystem, it's like, it's as if I walk down to my shoemaker barefoot and I'm like, I need shoes. And I say, I need shoes. And he goes, put your foot down on paper, Amy. And he draws a line around my toes and I go, okay, well, when should I come back? And how much will it be? He's like, I don't know, maybe like two, three weeks. And like, it depends how much leather I use. And then I go, okay, I'll come back. And maybe I come back. It's ready. And I go, all right, what did it cost? And he's like, well, it's not ready. Come back in three days. I go, okay, no problem. So I come back and then it's, it's my shoe. Right. But like, that's not how I bought this. This is an eight and a half. I bought this on an enabled connected platform where I had a direct connection to the manufacturer of this shoe where I could put in the parameters of what I want. Think generative design. And I could say, I want a red leather shoe patent, by the way. And I want it to be four inch heels and I want it to be comfortable. It needs to come from a five-star rated manufacturer. By the way, I want to pay less than this and it needs to come within two days. And like Santa, boom, here comes my shoe. And the only reason why this is an eight and a half and I've, it could be productized or we could buy it with certainty is because there was a connected enabled platform like that. And by the way, not only did it say you can have that, it said you should buy this shoe and these pants, these socks, this blouse and this necklace. That'll make the perfect outfit. And that frees me up. Right. Think if you're an architect, it freed me up as a consumer to go do other things with my time that were more productive. So I always say my red shoe is going to change the world, hopefully. Well, that is a perfect analogy. And it brings me to my last question, which I ask everyone. So if you could project yourself into the future, 2030, 2040 or beyond, and you could create the perfect gadget for you, for your life, what would it be and what would it do? You know, it's funny. I'm a mom first before everything I do. So I, I actually don't when you say for me, I almost don't know what that means in my, you know, like what, what am I, what do I do for anything for myself? So I actually went and, you know, I've, I've talked to my daughter about this and I've said to her like, well, what could you 
if you could have anything, what would it be? And she said, I would create something in, uh, in farming and agriculture that would feed the people of our planet. And then I said, that's a, that's great Mackenzie. And she said, just make sure you credit me and get it right. So I, hopefully I did for her, but I think I want to, you know, like, I'd love to be able to have people think about not just what they would want in the future, but what their kids and their grandkids and other people's kids and grandkids might, might want in the future, what they would want in the future. That's more important to me. I mean, me personally, I would love like a, maybe an authenticity meter filter that uh, microaggression like uh, filter that runs around me all the time that people know that I actually really care. And uh, I always say I'm like a bunny in a monster costume. If they could just know that without me having to look like I'm so tough and so intense, it would be great if they could have that when I, when I walk in the room, if that was possible for me, but it would free me up to be more authentic all the time, not have to explain things. See, there you go. But see, I think of it as passion. I think, you know, <laughs> it's like you love what you do and it shows. It's been so great chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Future Construct. Thank you.